Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn in the Office of Mission, Ministry, and Interfaith Dialogue at St. Francis College in beautiful Brooklyn, New York. My great pleasure to be back once again with you today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, peace, in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times, motivates you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as they utilize the information we provide today, take full accountability for the decisions you make in a resulting outcome. Now, one of the goals of our show, thank God, for Monday is to introduce role models, role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. This is a very special time, very close to the month of February, which is designated as Black History Month. And as such, we are honored today to have with us a very, very special guest. Her name is Dr. Ella F. Washington. Dr. Washington is an organizational psychologist who finds inspiration at the intersection of business, diversity, and leadership. She is also the author of the very timely book entitled The Necessary Journey, Making Real Progress on Equity and Inclusion. Great morning and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Dr. Washington. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. Ah, the pleasure is all ours. Kindly tell the audience from what city and state you are speaking from this morning, please. I am coming to you from Washington, D.C. Wow, a hotbed of activity these days, that's for sure. No doubt. Absolutely. Sadly, Dr. Washington, we've only got 30 minutes. We could spend hours talking about you, your incredible life, this wonderful book. If it's okay with you, we're going to jump right into the deep end of the pool. Let's go. Give our conversation some context. Kindly share with the listeners and me a little bit about yourself and in particular, your introduction to DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. So I am an organizational psychologist by training. Um, I attended Spelman College undergrad, and I was a psychology major there. Um, and then I went on to Northwestern University to attain my PhD in organizational behavior. And my research work at Northwestern really focused on women and racial minorities in the workplace and how we could get more underrepresented groups into leadership roles in the workplace. Um, personally, I'm from Durham, North Carolina originally, um, and identify as a Black cisgender woman. And so I've had many um, experiences throughout my life of being on the minority side of the diversity conversation. Um, and, you know, I wanted to do life work that helped the workplace be better for everyone. I truly believe that, you know, we spend so much of our lives either trying to get to a specific career for many of our listeners here, but also once you get into that career, you have, you know, hopefully a long life uh, in your career, right? And so we spend so much of our time, research says one third or more of our life 
is spent at work or working in some capacity. And so because of that, my mission has always been, how do we make the workplace more inclusive and equitable and a place where everyone can thrive, no matter their background, um, and make it just so that everyone can have positive experiences in the workplace? We are so blessed to have someone of your real, Dr. Washington, gracing the Thank God for Monday Airwaves this morning. You've written this fabulous book, The Necessary Journey, making real progress on equity and inclusion. I think you started to answer this question already, but let's peel the onion. Why did you feel it was so important to write this book? In 2020, many organizational leaders uh, kept asking me, you know, where are we on the DEI journey and how do we know if we're making progress? And that is a very a natural question for organizations to be wondering. And it was interesting to me that I got that question so many times over the course of summer of 2020. It's like when organizations started to become serious about DEI work, they all of a sudden remembered that, well, we don't really know where we are on the journey and, and what does progress look like. And so this book is to help demystify what DEI is all about. Um, it's a book of stories of nine different companies and how they have progressed and even had challenges on their DEI journey. So my goal in this book was to help every single person, no matter if you're a leader or a first time employee, to be able to see yourselves in some of the journeys shared by these companies, while also giving some frameworks and some best practices that can be applied to any workplace. These are amazing stories and amazing organizations that you presented in this great book of yours. Now, as you kind of alluded, the DEI landscape has received particular attention the last two years. Certainly COVID is a piece of that. Persisting social issues across the globe is a big piece of that. What would you say, Dr. Washington, has changed over the last couple of years where these DEI conversations are concerned? I think most organizations are much more aware of the persistent challenges. Um, I think that there is a common understanding, and COVID had a lot to do with this, that you know what happens in the outside world does not just fall away when we enter our workplaces. So there used to be this thought that like you know things would happen in the outside world, but when you go to work, it's just work. And COVID-19, especially with most people working from home, there became this, you know, sense that no, our workplaces are ecosystems of the larger world. And that has always been the case, but I think it became clear to all of us during the height of the pandemic. And so with that, I do see organizations being more intentional about their DEI efforts. I think it is now considered you know, socially and business unacceptable to not have a DEI perspective and strategy as opposed to five years ago, it was still for many organizations a nice thing to have or something they had on their website, but they might not have true um, efforts. They're being intentional internally to the organization. So we've seen a lot more of that. However, I think time will still have to tell how much progress we really have made. Um, DEI is really linked to our larger culture and our organizations. And so it's not something that can change overnight. Now, certain things can change in a more short-term perspective, such as employee engagement scores or a number of uh, demographics um, in a particular role, right? Number of people from certain different demographic groups. 
But true change takes time. You know, we wouldn't take data from one year and say, oh, this organization has totally turned a corner. They don't have anything to worry about. It's one of the things we have to track over time. And so, you know, two and a half years post uh, summer 2020, we've seen a lot of efforts. And what I'm looking forward to is in this year and beyond seeing that continued progress and hopefully continued effort from these organizations. It's so fascinating you talk about change and you being a real expert in this area. I had a 30-year career in pharmaceuticals, and I remember a human resource professional tell me once that it takes a long time to make a little bit of change. Mm -hmm. But if we're patient, but yet moving in the right direction, and we see signs we are, that is really important. Would you validate that? Does that make sense at all? Absolutely. You know, culture is a, a group level phenomenon, meaning one person can't change a culture. One person can have an influence positively or negatively on a culture, but one person does not change a culture. So if a new CEO joins an organization or a new president is elected over your you know, school organization, it goes for all levels. You know, that person can have an impact on the organization, but people have to buy into this new culture for it to become a reality. And culture is not just what we say, it's mostly about what we do, how we get things done in our organization. And so because it's about habits and behaviors and things that are deemed acceptable and not acceptable, it takes time to change. You know, if having, for example, a culture where microaggressions uh, run rampant. And can most people just think of it as, you know, humor, for example. Now we can say that's no longer acceptable, but it'll take a while for people to not have those little quips or make those assumptions or say those jokes and for people to feel comfortable correcting them and say, hey, you know, those things are unacceptable. Please don't do that or bringing awareness to how that's problematic, right? So you can say one thing, you can even put a policy in place, but the actual culture that's connected to behavioral change and, you know, accountability across the organization certainly takes time. Couldn't agree with you more, no doubt about that. Now, I have read and skimmed a fair number of books written on DEI, but yours is the first, I must say, that talks about it as a journey. Why did you write about it as a journey? Peel the onion for us, please, Dr. Washington. Well, you know, we use the term journey in so many different facets of life. You may be on a fitness journey. You may be on a wellness journey or a healing journey if you've, you know, suffered a loss or something like that. Um, we are all on journeys, right? And so that term journey has often been used. And what journey I think represents, when you think about just the word journey, it represents, you know, having a goal in mind, not maybe knowing exactly how you will get to that goal. Maybe the, the path is winding. Um, it also represents that you don't know everything you'll have to face. So sometimes, you know, you may have setbacks or you may have unexpected things that happen on your journey. And so I think DEI fits in that Spear of journey very well. And the concept of DEI as a journey is not one that I created. It's one that's been used uh, for a long time. But what I found is that most people would say DEI is a journey and not really be clear on what that meant, not really be clear on what it takes to traverse the journey specifically for DEI. And so my book really makes it plain, not only the five stages of 
a company's maturity, but also the three elements that you really need to consider when you're on your DEI journey. And those are your purpose, uh, your pitfalls, and what does progress look like? And those are the three things I think no matter what journey you're on, you can start to apply those. Could you repeat those three, please? I saw they all began with the letter P. Yes, the three P's. And the listeners, the three P's here. Yeah, the, the three P's are purpose, pitfalls, and progress. Purpose has to do with, you know, what is our goal? Why are we here? Why is this important to us? Being really clear on your goal and your why behind your DEI goal. The second is pitfalls, holding up that mirror to yourself and your organization. What is standing in our way of getting to that goal of, of achieving that sense of purpose? And we all have something, right? No organization is perfect and no person is perfect. So if we're thinking at the individual level, you know, I say that I want to be an ally, for example, for this marginalized group. Well, what's standing in my way? What are the things? Maybe it's how I was raised. Maybe it's I haven't given it enough time. Maybe I'm afraid to raise my hand and say, I don't know. We all have these areas that we have to be honest with ourselves on what's holding us back. And then the third area is progress. What does progress look like? So how do I know if I am making progress on this goal? Back to the goal of being a better ally. For example, maybe you say I volunteered, you know, once a month, or I've connected with someone from that community on a more frequent basis. Or maybe progress means I don't shy away from uncomfortable conversations when this topic comes up. Whatever it might be for you, you do have to define what progress looks like short-term and long-term so that you can track your progress. And that's how we know in any organization or, or any business setting, really, you know, how do you measure progress? How do you know if you're making progress? Well, you have to measure it in some capacity. It's interesting. I'm a recovering CPA. So when you <laughs> talk about progress, it really warms my heart. Unfortunately, I still have this return on investment kind of mentality. You know, how are we doing uh, what's the progress we're making, et cetera, et cetera. Speaking of this great book of yours, you talk about workplace utopia as a connecting concept. This is something I'm not familiar with at all. I don't believe many of our listeners are. Share a little bit, please. What is this workplace utopia? And why is it important to internalize the learning behind this concept? Please, Dr. Washington. Workplace Utopia is all about uh, thinking about what is an ideal workplace for each one of us. When I think about, you know, what is a workplace that I feel like I could really thrive? I think this is critically important for students who are thinking about their future careers, because this is the time to really be thinking about, you know, what matters to me the most? What do I want my work environment to look like? What are the environments that I know that I thrive the best? For some, it's being able to work in silos and get things done. For other people, they're like, no, I need to be able to see people in person. You know, that's how I thrive. For other people, they're like, my workplace utopia is where I get immediate feedback and know that my work is having an impact. Other people have different ideas of workplace utopia. Maybe they feel like I need a work environment where I can be silly, that I can, you know, tell my jokes or wear my off-colored outfits or whatever it is. It's different for everybody, right? And that's okay. And I think for individuals, it's important to 
uh, define what that is. And that'll change over time as you progress in your life and your career and certain things start to become more important. But it's important for us to keep that in mind. And it's also important for organizations to understand what environments they can create to help their employees thrive. There's no one universal perfect workplace, just like there's no one universal workplace utopia. But it is this idea that we can keep in mind when we're thinking about our teams or our organizations or even how we ourselves show up best in these organizations to think about the idea of a workplace utopia. Oh, that is awesome, certainly. You know, somebody once told me that when you teach a class, you learn. Someone else told me when you write a book, you learn. Was there any key learnings, Dr. Washington, in the process of writing this book that may have come to you? You know, that's interesting. I, I do think I, I agree with both of those things. As a professor, you know, I often am learning as I'm teaching or learn something new by the questions that my students ask or the experiences they share. I think writing a book is one way that you take all of the thoughts that you have in your head and all the little tidbits and try to bring them to life. I think what's interesting about, you know, teaching, for example, I teach to a specific audience. I teach to my students at Georgetown, but uh -huh. a book, like an article, it has the ability to touch people worldwide that may or may not ever come in contact with you individually. So it's also a way for you to not only broaden the, the um, landscape of the message, but also connect with people that you may not have ever had an opportunity to. And so that's what I've loved most about writing this book. I've had the opportunity to talk to people near and far that would have never been on my radar or vice versa. Otherwise, um, I also, you know, get emails or LinkedIn messages from people who I probably never have met them had I not written this book or, wow. you know, with them. And so to me, that is a blessing. And um, it's one of the things I'm most grateful for in this writing process. Ah, oh, that is absolutely terrific. Now, I'm sure we have some leaders listening, uh, other members of organizations besides some of the younger listeners still in college. Are there a couple of key concepts about the DEI journey that organizations and leaders should be aware? Dr. Washington, I want to share a bit about this morning. Uh, can you say that again, the key? I I'm sorry, any key concepts about the DEI journey that yeah. organizations and leaders really need to be very aware of? So I would say it, you have to be really clear that the DEI journey may not be linear. You know, we often do things and expect it to be a one-to-one -one ratio. But unfortunately, when we're dealing with real people and real challenges <laughs> and also, you know, factors like society and history and all those things, all those things come into play. And so while you may create a wonderful program, for example, that celebrates DEI in your organization, that doesn't mean that everybody will take that message the same way. It doesn't mean that everyone will see your efforts as enough, right? It's a continuous learning process. And sometimes, as I said before, we do have pitfalls. We do have things that are holding us back from success. Maybe we had good intentions, but our impact and our intent don't, you know, provide that one-to-one -one ratio. So, the number one thing I would say is to remind yourself that the journey may not always be linear, but that does not mean you're not making progress. You know, having areas of 
challenge is part of the journey. Um, and I would encourage leaders to keep going, even if you've you know, run into challenges or you're not making progress as quickly as you'd like to. That doesn't mean pick up your ball and go home. That means to keep, keep trying because it is worth the effort. Oh, wow. That's a great advice. Now, during my 30 years in the corporate world, and even sometimes in higher education now, I noticed that the planning cycle sometimes gets shorter and shorter. One of our executives used to joke that in big pharma, the planning cycle, the long-term planning was, cycle was about an hour, certainly. So things were shifting constantly, priorities were shifting constantly. How do we make bias, inequity, inclusion efforts, how do we keep them, Dr. Washington, front and center and not going to that back burner as sometimes priorities can do? So I think you know, to keep DEI front and center, you have to think of it as uh, something that's critical to your business success. You can't think of it as something extra that you're doing. You have to think about it as something that is necessary and that you must be doing in order to be a successful organization. And to me, when you shift your thinking from this is an extra nice to have thing to, you know, celebrate Black History Month or Women's History Month or Pride Month, for example, and shift your thinking to, no, we must have a DEI strategy in order to create an environment our employees want to stay, in order to get the best performance um, from our employees, in order to connect with our consumers in the best way. When we are thinking about DEI in those ways, it becomes critical to our success, not just a nice to have thing that we do when we have some extra time or you know, there's a cause for a cultural celebration. I'm going to bring, if you don't mind, my old CPA mentality back to the floor again. Is there a bottom line impact of DEI in organization? Absolutely. Um, there certainly can be a bottom line impact. I think in order to see it, you have to have strong enough analytics uh, to track the metrics that are most important to you as an organization. And you have to have the resources committed to connecting, let's say, those people analytics data with your DEI efforts and to track them and connect that data. And so, yes, there can be a bottom line, but you have to connect the dots. You're not going to know how much time you spent as an organization onboarding and training employees when they leave versus if you can get them to stay a bit longer if you're not tracking that data. So absolutely, there is a bottom line, but it's not always as clear as you know dollars and cents that you could just see on a profit and loss sheet. You do have to ha do the work to track the necessary data and connect those points. But organizations that have done that have lots of success in going beyond the conceptual in their DEI strategy and really making that bottom line and business imperative come to life. I just want to make sure I heard what you said. My inference is that when DEI is done effectively in an organization, it can be a retention tool. Absolutely. Not only a retention tool, but also a way for employees to be more engaged. Um, and so more engaged employees are ones who give their best and have, you know, the most effort in their work. Uh, we call it discretionary effort. And so you want employees to be going above and beyond and being really excited and engaged in work. And so not only does it help them to stay, but it helps them to give their best. And that's what you hired them for. And that's how we get the best, you know, from our teams more generally. 
This is why we want everyone to say thank God for Monday to wake up every morning and say that because these are the people that are truly engaged as you're referring to and they'll give the 110, 120%. Sorry to say, we've only got about six minutes. We could talk all day, Dr. Washington, but I still have a few important questions for you. Let's say for one reason or another, organization or two are just now thinking about DEI. What are the first couple of steps you'd recommend to them, please? So I make it real simple. If they're just thinking about DEI for the first time, I want you to answer three questions. What is our purpose? Why are we doing this work? Why is it important to us? And how is it connected to our organization's mission and values? What do we think has stood in the way of our progress? So that, that pitfalls question, what are our pitfalls? What stood in the way? And even if you don't know, maybe just answering the question about what you hypothesize has stood in your way can give you clues to look into data that will help you to understand you know, what those pitfalls are. And the third question is about progress. When we think about that goal that we define in our purpose, what does progress look like in the short term and long term? And so those three P's can help any organizations at least get started thinking about your purpose, your pitfalls, and what progress looks like. It keeps coming back to those wonderful three P's. You make it very simple, but it's quite empowering. So there's no doubt about that. Now, for any organizations, we might have some uh, listeners today, they're with organizations. As you said, things are not linear. They're feeling a little stuck right now. Any ways that you suggest reinvigorate the dialogue without reinventing the wheel, if I may? You know, I think when you start to feel stuck, go back to your purpose and your why. And use it as an opportunity to connect with employees in, in terms of what's on their minds and what's on their hearts and what is um, their perspective on how your DEI efforts are going. Because oftentimes we feel stuck. We forget the human side of it. Like we're trying to impact real people, right? So when we start to feel stuck, let's go back to the people we're trying to impact and get their perspectives and get their input. I think the most successful DEI strategies are ones that are both top down and bottom up. So absolutely, the leadership team must be the ones in the forefront setting the strategy, setting the stage. But those folks in the front lines of the organization, those managers, are the ones who are doing the work every single day. And so check back in with your stakeholders at every level of the organization to, to get that reset and to understand what's on their mind and what's important for them as of today. The light bulb, I take a long time, sadly, to understand things, Dr. White, but the light bulb just went on. This is a total organization effort. This is just not C-suite executives, you know, saying we need to do. This is everybody. Absolutely. Oh, that's so wonderful. Now, Black History Month, just a couple of days away. Any suggestions for how our listeners and I can celebrate not only Black History Month, but Anything we can do for organizations, celebrate it all year long, which we very much should. So, you know, be aware of the experiences of your underrepresented employees, especially Black employees, for example, during Black History Month. It's not enough to just acknowledge there is bias. Understand what are the challenges that this group faces within your organization and within organizational environments. There's lots of research out there, right? And quite frankly, many of the challenges that affect one group affect other groups as well. And so as you're learning, 
learning about the Black experience in the workplace, you likely can learn things that will help with the experience of LGBTQ members in the workplace, of women in the workplace, of Latinx folks in the workplace, right? And so that's one thing, like use that opportunity to learn, not just acknowledge, but learn and support employees uh, within those different communities. The second thing I would say is like, you know, you can think about supporting Black-owned businesses, especially during the month of February, but all year long. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many statistics that Black-owned businesses and other minority-owned businesses, they have the hardest time surviving uh, because they don't usually have the same upfront money and support to get their organization started. Um, and they oftentimes you know, have a, a really a challenge in continuing to exist. And so supporting Black-owned businesses is one way you can really lean into Black History Month um, as well as that's something you can do all year long. Oh, thanks for that great advice. And I'm going to take those tips in February and March, April, and for the rest of time, certainly. Excellent. We, Dr. Washington, say the most important question for last. From where can our loyal listeners purchase the necessary journey? How can they best follow you, please? You can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, find me at Ella, E-L-L-A-F. Washington on LinkedIn. I am very active on LinkedIn and love to to connect and have a community of of thoughts on LinkedIn. And you can purchase my book anywhere books are sold, uh, amazon.com, Barnes and Nobles, or anywhere books are sold. But you can also find out more information by going to thenecessaryjourney.com. Thenecessaryjourney.com. Listeners, no excuse. Dr. Washington has been great Franciscan this morning. She hasn't held on to the good. She has shared all her good this morning in this great book. Therefore, I'm imploring you, buy a copy of this book, at least one. Let's say buy even more, buy a couple of more. Give these out as gifts for Black History Month, for Valentine's Day. We need to change the workplace. We need to change the world. And this book, yes, it's very enlightening, is very inspiring as well, just as Dr. Washington has been this morning with us. Please, please do the world a favor, buy a couple of these, read one, give a couple away, share the good. It's great Franciscan. Dr. Washington, we can't thank you enough for gracing the airways of Thank God for Monday today. We've been enlightened, as I said, we've been very, very inspired. Continue joy, success, happiness, and all this fabulous work you're doing. Enjoy a very nourishing Black History Month and beyond. And as I say, it really has been a great honor having you with us today. And thank God for Monday. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Listeners, guess what? Once again, we're out of time. Greg saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Dr. Washington does, you'll say, thank God for Monday. Until next week's episode, have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye.